0: As some of you know, my family and I have often spent the week in summer vacationing up at Deep Creek Lake in Western Maryland. Well, a few years ago, when we were at the lake, we, along with some friends, went to a movie's one night. And afterwards, we were talking outside, and by pure accident, my youngest daughter, Elizabeth, as you all know, Lizzie, was bumped off the curb and fell hitting her head. And as most head wounds go, she immediately started to bleed profusely all over the place. Seeing this happen in a split second, Station, my wife scooped her up. We immediately jumped in the car to take her to the hospital nearby. Of course, as many of you also know, I have three other daughters as well. Um, But fortunately, our friends immediately stepped into that gap. They just said, go, go now. We'll take care of the other kids. Go, we'll be praying for you. And with that, we sped off to the hospital. And by God's grace and mercy, Elizabeth was as good as new many days later. So, well, tonight, we're gonna study a passage where Jesus gives a clear charge to go. Uh, let's see what happens and how we might apply that to our lives here tonight. So please follow along as I read John 9 and read verses 1 through 12, uh, the passages on page 895 in your Pew Bible. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, Is he? Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Well, tonight, we're going to focus on verse 7. But I think it's important for us not to miss the context, so let me just open that up a little bit to verses 6 and 7. Let me read those again quickly. Having said these things, he, Jesus, spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent." So he went and washed and came back seen. So there's actually a lot here, like often in Scripture. And to be honest, I don't plan to unpack this whole passage that's more time than we have here tonight but it is important to see the key themes and as such let me give you a little bit of context as we enter our passage jesus has recently been in the temple and some jews were attempting to stone him for claiming to be god the scriptures tell us that jesus hid himself and left the temple so he's still in jerusalem though perhaps keeping a bit of a lower profile and it's in this context that he passes by the beggar fundamentally our passage shows jesus performing another miracle it's just one in a series of miracles that Jesus performs throughout the Gospels. But before we press on, I think it's important to realize, why does Jesus do miracles? He does not primarily do it because he can, like we would if we could actually do miracles. And he doesn't primarily do it to show off his power so that people would listen to him in the future, though I'm sure that also had an effect. No, primarily he, he uses miracles to reinforce his teaching, and thus it's important for us not to miss Jesus' teaching as this miracle is primarily there to underscore it. So what is Jesus' teaching here in the passage? What is this miracle meant to illustrate or to highlight or to reinforce? As with many miracles, it generally reminds us that He is the Messiah. Looking at Isaiah forty two, six through seven, we read I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the bl- that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Giving sight to the blind is one of the key prophecies that describes the Messiah and his work. And if you continue to read in Matthew chapters 9, 12, 15, 20, and 21, Jesus heals the blind on many different occasions. So as we look at this episode more closely, let's understand his message and how we might apply that to our lives here. And I'm going to break this down in two very simple points tonight. God's work and man's response. First, let's look at God's actions in this story. The scriptures tell us that as Jesus simply passed by the blind man, Jesus saw him. The implication is that Jesus stopped and saw this man in need. Interestingly, the disciples seemed to care a lot more about the situation than the man himself. They were trying to determine who was to blame for these tragic circumstances. But Jesus was concerned about the man, and he had compassion on him, as we will see shortly. As for the theological question at hand, Jesus is quite clear that neither the man nor his parents were particularly sinful that merited this tragic situation. In fact, Jesus confirms that no specific sin was responsible for the man's blindness. The fallenness of the world can alone explain the tragedy of these sorts of circumstances, both then and today. The impacts of sin writ large have caused this world to be a difficult, broken, and challenging place as we read about in Genesis 3. But here, similar to the passage in 2 Kings this morning, God has a sovereign right as the creator of the universe to set the situation in order to glorify his name. And this is just one of those instances. Jesus tells us the man is blind so that Jesus may be shown once more to be the Messiah. Specifically, Jesus teaches that he is the light of the world, even for the blind who only experience darkness. Jesus had already introduced himself as the light of the world back in Matthew chapter 8, 12 and verses 12 and 13. Interestingly, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus spends most of that conversation defending his testimony about himself against the Pharisees' accusations. And in that exchange, he validates that his testimony is true because it comes from both him and the Father. Here, it's clearly not the case because the blind man literally validates it with his own direct testimony, as we'll see later on. The blind man literally serves as the witness to this great truth. For Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world, a world covered in sin and darkness. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all gone astray. Not one of us sees our true situation. Not, that, not unless God himself illuminates our souls, opens our eyes to that desperate situation. We are incapable of seeing ourselves as we really are, condemned by our own sins, lost in the darkness. Jesus brings the light of his gospel to his disciples, to his hearers, to this blind man, and to the whole world, both then and even more so today. As the light of the world, Jesus brings all sinners who are in darkness into the light of salvation if we repent and believe. I'll expand more about this gospel and message in just a bit. But let's first examine the, the method of the miracle as well. What can we learn? Jesus uses saliva or his spit, a little gross, uh, and mixes it with the dirt on the ground in order to make mud for the man's eyes. In previous and future healings, Jesus has and will cure blindness with actually a simple command. But here he uses some basic materials. What imagery does this evoke in our minds? Well, if we think about it in Genesis 2-7, the Bible says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God used the dust or the dirt from the ground prior when he created man in the beginning. And Jesus was in some way, sorry, Jesus was there, of course, in the Garden of Eden uh, as the Son of God. In that work, he physically created man from the dust and his breath. And in this one, he does a similar thing with dirt and spit to heal one of his creations. It should be a reminder of, to us all who this rabbi is none other than the creator of the universe. Next, Jesus applies and anoints the man's eyes with mud. Again, we see how Jesus interacts with the blind man. He touches his face, he coats his eyes with mud. It's a gentle picture of care and attention. He carefully anoints the man's eyes, reminding us of the prophets of old anointing the kings of Israel, in fact, like we read about this morning. Of course, to the watching public, it simply looked like Jesus was making the blind man dirty. I know when I get mud in my eyes, it never really helps me see much better. So I'm sure there were many people wondering what on earth was going on, and perhaps even shocked that this rabbi would deal with the blind man, but not only that, now coat his face with mud, his eyes with mud. We have, of course, the benefit of hindsight. But how strange it must have looked. How could mud make this hopeless situation better? And yet, like so much of God's wisdom, it is contrary to the world's wisdom. Finally, Jesus had anointed his eyes. He does one more thing. Jesus commands the the blind man to go and wash. And I don't want to move too quickly over this very simple command. Even though Christ sovereignly heals the blind man, as as we will see, Jesus also commands the blind man to do something. To do, to go, and to wash in this case. Yes, God is acting in his sovereignty, and the blind man has also the responsibility to respond and obey his command. It's a test of the blind man's faith. Would he obey would he obey Jesus? Would he have faith in Jesus to heal him? Even to save him. Note it's interesting here that the man never cries out to be healed. Nor does Jesus anywhere in the dialogue promise to heal the man. Similar to Jesus' commands to repent and believe, he tells the blind man simply to go and wash. So a couple of points of application before we move on to our second point. Note how Jesus sees the person and takes the opportunity to engage this blind beggar. Do we miss opportunities to do good and glorify God? Are our eyes open to all of those around us? Do we see the needs that are are before us? We all live in a very crazy, busy place here in D.C., Are we slowing down enough to care for those around us? Are we using our time for the things that Jesus says are a priority? Particularly, I would ask the members of this church, how are you caring for each other? Consider right now small concrete ways that you will show the love of Christ by caring for other members of this body. I'd even encourage you to write it down. Ask another brother and sister to hold you accountable. And consider how now also the other people that God has put in your life. May it that we would be a church that is engaging the lost world around us and not hiding in this corner. Also, Jesus used the most basic materials in a situation to show us that he was the light of the world. Do we use the simple means that he has provided us, that are available to us? Perhaps the quick conversation with a friend or or even a stranger? Perhaps the simple act of kindness to share God's goodness? Or the setback? Perhaps to explain God's continued care and faithfulness for us even in difficult times. Or even the death of a loved one to share the gospel of hope with those who are grieving around us. Jesus uses spit and dirt beneath his feet. And yes, he used his power as the Lord God to heal the blind man. But let us never forget that God has promised us his Holy Spirit and he has given us his word. These are powerful tools, great aids, the great comforter most often we don't need a big event or a seminary degree or anything special to be sharing the simple but powerful truths of the gospel. So let us now turn to our second point, man's response. So what does the blind man do? Quite simply, he obeys. The command was very straightforward, though in many ways it made no sense. The blind man now had mud on his eyes and simply washing it off would likely have no practical difference whatsoever. Furthermore, the man couldn't see his experience and, or his, his uh, appearance and probably would not have been that bothered by it like everyone else standing around him. And according to a, a number of commentaries and some archaeology, it would seem that the pool of Siloam is not right there at hand either. Not that it's a treacherous journey by any means, but as a blind man, he probably would have needed help to navigate to the pool. Or at least it would have been challenging for him to get over and get there. It clearly was not something done, something that he could do very quickly or without some effort on his part. And yet the blind man does not seem to hesitate. I love the scripture's very simple language. It states he went and washed. There there seems to be no delay. He doesn't even seem to hesitate or even ask for help. And it does not tell us that he even asked any questions. I know if that was me, I would be full of questions in that position. This blind man doesn't request anything of Jesus. No promises, no assurances. Jesus commands and the beggar goes and does as he's instructed. I am sure he hoped that he would be changed. And we can reasonably assume that he had heard of Jesus. And so we can suspect that he was hopeful the sight might be restored. And remember, he's been blind all his life. If you read further in the chapter, the, the beggar is clearly an adult. His family, in fact, states that uh, he can speak for himself when the Pharisees come and harass them about why he has new sight. He clearly is not a child. As an adult, he has to have, have tons of questions. Yet he doesn't voice a single one. Rather, he obeys. Do we obey? Do we obey without delay? Do we obey without complaint? Do we obey completely? In Raising Our Girls, station, and I have often used the, the classic phrase, are you obeying all the way, right away, and with a happy heart? Uh, and the man seems to do just that here. Are we like this blind man? Do we obey in the same manner? How often do we feel conviction of sin and yet delay in our repentance? How often is our obedience stymied by our, our busy schedules, that we just don't have time to do that now? Or fear of what others may say or, or think? Or even our sinful desires warring against the call to repent? May we be more like this blind man, obedient, quickly obedient to God's commands. He commands and we obey. For any who are here tonight who do not call themselves Christians and have not repented and believed in the gospel, Jesus is calling for you to do, to go and to wash tonight, not in some nearby pool, but in his precious blood that can cleanse you from all your sins. Jesus calls you to repent, that is to stop and turn away from your sins, to stop ruling your own life, and to trust in him as your Lord and your Savior. For Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life, a life that we could never live. And he died on the cross, taking the punishment for your sins and for my sins. And was raised from the dead and lives at the right hand of god the father almighty he calls you to submit and to follow him to live a new life by the grace and power of the holy spirit if you would like to know more about this gospel message to repent and believe please track me down after this after the talk tonight or we'll talk to one of the elders here or someone who might have brought you there's nothing more important in this matter so back to our story the blind man obeys jesus He went out to the pool of Siloam, being blind, and he came back seen. He's healed. His sight is restored. He could see a miracle had been performed. He had to be overwhelmed. But again, the Bible is very near on this point. In fact, it doesn't say much about his reaction. But the one thing it does tell us is that he came back. And it doesn't tell us why. Note that Jesus didn't provide him any additional guidance to, to, to go wash and come back and repent. But I think we can assume that the reason he came back was to find Jesus. And perhaps the people around, who were around when he had mud rubbed on his eyes. But I suspect it was primarily to find Jesus. I say this based on the rest of the chapter, which I, again, I'll encourage you to read later. Well, who does he find? While Jesus is no longer there, the other people still seem to be around. And not only are they not particularly thrilled to see him, but they seem to be confused by his return and uncertain that this is, this is even the same man. I love how they, they seem to be debating the point where, while he is there among them, I suspect they were used to talking in front of him all the time without really including him in the conversation. Perhaps it was because it's often hard for blind people to enter into and stay engaged in multi-person, multi-person conversations. They can't see the visual cues that, that allow us to communicate pauses and, and transfer the discussion. Or perhaps it was because these people were used to ignoring the blind man who was a beggar. He was beneath them. He was something not to be considered. Regardless of why, this seemed to be happening again. And of course, he's right there now, and he can see the whole thing play out. Thus, the Bible says, he kept saying, I am the man. It's almost like he was saying, hello, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right here. You don't, need to, you don't need to talk about me. I can talk myself. Well, he tells the crowd what happens. And they are confused. And so they take him to the Pharisees, and he tells the Pharisees what happened. And, when, and even, even when some of them don't believe him, even when the Pharisees start pressuring him, even when the Pharisees cast him out, He continues to tell of Jesus and his work. He doesn't change his story. No, he stands firm. He doesn't waver. Now, his sight has been restored. He can now do anything he wants. And Jesus, again, did not tell him to do anything further. But the beggar is looking for Jesus. And Jesus later on finds him. And I I say this because later on, at the end of the chapter, the beggar believed that Jesus was Lord, the promised Messiah. And we read in verse 38 the beggar says lord i believe and he the beggar worshiped jesus the beggar's response is one of belief and trust and worship brothers and sisters are we listening to jesus are we going in matthew 28 it it calls us to go and to make disciples are we doing that are we telling people about the lord and savior jesus christ and his eternal life-giving gospel are we going to our our families our friends our work colleagues, our our neighborhoods, even to the greater world, speaking of these gospel truths. I would encourage you, consider one person or even one group of people that you will speak this week about Jesus. Who will you tell the good news? Will you go? Let's pray. Dear God Almighty, we thank you, dear God, the way that you continue to show us your love. We thank you the way you showed your love, your care. And, of course, your healing hand to this blind beggar. And we are no different than him. We are blind in our sins without you opening our eyes with your gospel. Oh, Lord, we praise your name. We thank you for your work on the cross, the way you died and were resurrected, dear Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray, dear God, that you would help us daily to repent and believe. Help us, dear God, to go forward, to go and tell this world about your amazing life-giving gospel. Oh, Lord, may we preach Your name this week in all the things we do, from the most simple to the the biggest things, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray that our lives would point to You. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.